Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. The Foxes had to be patient, but they eventually snared their prize. Three points the reward thanks to Kelechi Iheanacho's lightning strike as Crystal Palace fell prey. A much-needed Premier League win for Leicester City last night as they continue to solidify their top four spots. Champions League is the aim for Brendan Rodgers next season, but that competition holds more immediate importance for Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea as the Blues travel to Madrid to take on 13-time winners Real in tonight's semi-final first leg. The eyes of the world will be watching as two former European Super League clubs clash, Chelsea looking to reach their first final since they won the Champions League in 2012, Real Madrid on the hunt for trophy number 14. Plus we pour over the newly introduced Premier League Hall of Fame as Alan Shearer and Thierry Henry become inaugural inductees, but who should join them in the class of 2021? I'm Niall McCorn, it's Tuesday and it's time for another daily dose of Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast from Sports Social. Joining me on Punditry Duties today, we've got Jim Salverson. How's it going, Jim? I'm alright, cheers now. And we've also got Marley Anderson here as well. How's it going, Marley? Hello, boys. Yeah, not, not too bad, yeah. All right, time to dive straight into last night's Premier League action, of which there was only one fixture, of course, took place between Leicester and Crystal Palace. And it was the Foxes who picked up a 2-1 victory. Excellent strike from Kelechi Iheanacho to seal the deal for Brendan Rodgers' side as they look to really solidify a top-four spot this season. 2-1 the final score. But it was Leicester who conceded first, Jim. They had to stay patient in the end to get the equaliser and then to get the winner through Iheanacho. Do you think that's something that Leicester can afford to do these days with the quality that they've got? They can almost back themselves to break through because they've earned that position, I I guess. They've earned that right. Yes and no. I mean, I don't think it's a case of being able to afford to do it because no team goes out of the game plan of letting your opposition score first and then slowly edging your way back into the game. But I kind of get what you're saying at the same time because... (laughs) Not unless you're match-fixing or something. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I kind of get what you're saying because Leicester City have... Almost almost earned that right, but it's something that comes with experience in game management and more than anything else, confidence. And I think when you see mm. Leicester City get into these situations now where they do go a goal behind, and I look at the West Ham game recently where they very almost came back into it from three goals behind, but they seem to have that confidence and that calmness that they stick to their game plan. They continue to execute what they've practiced on the training field and they don't Mm. panic more than anything else and I think that is it's a confidence and it's a maturity and it's a self-belief that we are seeing creeping into Leicester City that Mm. brings them into this position that we've talked about 
uh, of the last couple of weeks that they now feel like they are part mm. of that Premier League elite. They don't feel like outsiders at, up at the top end of the table. They don't feel like they're overachieving. They 100% deserve to be there. So it all kind of plays into that. It's a really good mentality to have as well, isn't it, Marley? Knowing that you have got enough on the pitch, particularly at the top end. You know, if Jamie Vardy's not scoring, it seems like Inacho's picking up the slack. So it gives the fans confidence as well that even though you might be behind with, I don't know, let's say only half an hour to go, you can still feel that you can get something out of the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, to have that double-edged threat up front now um, is is massive for Leicester because, you know, if, if Vardy's goals dry up, you know, in, in previous years, if you say Vardy stopped scoring for 10 or 15 games, like he has sort of slowed down in this season, you're probably saying Leicester are going to drop off massively, but Ian Acho has picked up the slack massively. Um, they've, Rodgers has, has found a system that gets um, gets them both in from the start. He's not, not having to pick one over the other. They're linking up really well. I think Vardy's got 13 assists now. I think Ian Acho has got somewhere around 10, 12 goals or something like that. Um, and his goal last night was just uh, was just typical of of the 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 form and the confidence Ian Asho has got now because he t- he took it in, you know, and he just swivelled and smashed it in the top corner before anyone could really set themselves and prepare to defend against him because it was a hell of a finish and it's it's well is the is the most informed striker in the uh, Premier League right now. Just on the recruitment that we mention a lot, Jim, when we talk about Leicester on Football Social Daily. Look at the goal scorers last night. Timothy Castagna, who's been really impressive since he's come in to the King Power Stadium. And then, of course, Iheanacho, who they picked up a couple of seasons ago. But we always speak about the way that they've been able to bring in players and replace those that have left. Do you think that well will run dry eventually, though, if we were being a little bit cynical? Or are they always lining up the next replacement? I don't see why the well would would want run dry unless suddenly there's a we run out of decent players in football <laughs> that kind of dries well, up well I suppose the example you could use is Southampton a few years ago where they were doing mm. well and then Liverpool kept picking up their players I think you remember Sadio Mane Virgil van Dijk um, mm. there's a couple of other examples as well I mean Luke Shaw went to Manchester United Chambers Lallana. went to Arsenal Lallana so you're thinking about this not mass exodus I think that's from slightly Leicester. different I'm not he even took that, but... at one point Ricky Lambert didn't he <laughs> that didn't work out I do think it's slightly different in terms of referring to the recruitment as running dry though because I, I kind of see what you're saying that, but they can't keep buying good players, can they? Every time, well, why leaves? not? Because I mean, what the, when Leicester City's new owners came in, what was it? Probably six years ago, now maybe even longer ago than that. They set up the ambition of a good scouting network and a good academy because it wasn't something that was particularly fruitful in Leicester City's history, and that was one of their focuses was to be able to identify good young talent from the continent in a very similar way to Wolves did a couple of seasons ago and bring them through. So they've got that investment in a scouting system now. So why can't they continue? And a lot of teams seem to overlook this. I mean, Marley will know from his team, Newcastle, I certainly know from my team, West Ham, that the, the kind of scouting networks have been woefully underfunded and massively ignored for a lot of Premier League teams, which seems insanity when you look at the kind of talent and the kind of assets that teams like Leicester City are picking up so I don't see why they've got the investment there they've got the players they've got the scouts they've got the network I don't see why they can't continue to identify and pick up talent from the continent the challenge is going to be as other clubs do wake up to the fact that this is an area they need to invest in there will be more competition from those players and those players will be identified by multiple clubs what Leicester City have got going for them which I think sets them apart from the Southamptons that you talk about is the status of their club. They have made use of having these good players in their team and season on season, they seem to improve, they seem to build, they seem to improve their status. And now if you talk about bigger clubs coming in to poach players from Leicester City and take away these prized assets like Fafana, for example, it's going to be, it's going to have to be one of the big four. And it's going to cost you £80 million as well yeah, if you use exactly. Maguire for an example. Yeah, it's going to cost a load of money. And Leicester City, they've got the money, to, increasingly so, the more they qualify for the Champions League, the more they can offer wages that makes players want to stay at the club, which feels like a really well-run football team that is on the up. So I think we will still see players being picked off by the big teams. Undoubtedly, you'll get Manchester United or Manchester City or Liverpool coming in and trying to pick away their prized assets. But that will happen less and less often. And that continued recruitment of good quality talent, I see absolutely no reason why that should stop. 
I think Jim's right, Marley. The more successful Leicester are, the more they're becoming less likely that they're going to need to find these replacements because players would be more keen to stay and work on the project that Brendan Rodgers has got in play there with them qualifying for the Champions League, possibly on course to win the FA Cup too. You know, there's, there's great opportunities there for players and they'd probably be more likely to stay than leave. Yeah, I think, um, you know, sometimes we talk about springboards in football um, and players using clubs as a springboard to a bigger thing. Um, sometimes, you know, sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. You know, sometimes you can get a good player for three or four years um, and then if they go on to better things, fine. But in them three or four years, if you achieve something, they are likely to stay. For example, Fafana, you know, he came in thinking, I'm going to get first team football here in the Premier League. You know, the the team's in, in the top eight every year. It's a good move for me. And maybe I can get to a really big team off the back of it. I don't know if he thought like that coming into Leicester, but maybe if he did, um, he's, you know, in the meantime, it's not going too badly, is it? You know, they could get into the Champions League and then that that gives you a few more years. You don't have to leave because the club's not going anywhere. The club's progressing. It's got a good manager. They're bringing in other good players. They've done well in the transfer market, like we said. Um, and they're challenging for trophies and and, uh, and European qualification every year. So, you know, um, I think a lot of people write write players off when they use things as a, as a springboard. And sometimes it, there's nothing wrong with it, I don't think. Um, you can have good times in that time. It's, it's, it's up to you as a club to get, to be good enough to keep players hungry and to keep them believing. And I think for Fana right now, for example, just to just to use him as, a, as an example, you know, he's not thinking, bloody hell, this team's going nowhere, but I'm having a good season, I need to move in the summer. He's thinking, I've got everything I need here for to stay for two or three more years, make, um, make myself one of the best centre-backs in the league by reputation, and then we'll see what happens. Leicester might be, uh, you know, a regular Champions League team in that time that there's no... There's no guessing what what might happen, and then obviously if they're not and he's still quality, then more teams can come in for him because you don't go unnoticed if you if you're playing at that level for a team like Leicester. I think you can't overlook the coaching either that's being offered at Leicester City and the way they're developing players. And you look at some of the players they've brought in over the last couple of seasons. I'm thinking Yori Tielemans, Justin James, James Madison. Um, Wesley Fofana, as we're talking about, uh, in Iniacho as well. They've all developed as players in their time at Leicester City. And you look at someone like Fofana, when he came, was it some, where'd he come from? Montpellier? Saint Etienne. Mm. Uh, so he was like playing alongside um, Dupe, a West Ham centre back. Over, over there and he was considered the lesser of the two but they've both moved to the Premier League and I think it's undoubted that Wesley Fofana is now the, the better centre-back and that's because of the coaching being offered by Leicester City and I think if you're a young player and as Marley says you're looking at Leicester City going I'm going to get game time I'm going to improve as a player and the club's developing it, it, it seems like it's a great choice for player. it's a great destination Actually, one thing I know about Wesley Fofana is that one of his youth clubs that he used to play for before he joined San Etienne was called Bel Air. So I just wonder whether he's uh, <laughs> been nicknamed Fresh Prince by any of the Leicester City players uh, since he's been at the club. Do you know what I do really like about Leicester is, like you say, Jim, if one player is getting the spotlight, it, it, it tends to switch up. So maybe a year ago, it was Shagla Suyunchu who was getting all the plaudits for being a great centre-back and stepping into Harry Maguire's shoes after he left. And now it's Fafana who's getting all the plaudits. Castagna was you know, highlighted as a really important signing, but yet James Justin, before his knee injury, has done really well. We're not even talking about Ricardo Pereira, who was the star man at fullback the season before. Vardy kind of went off the boil. He's gone on a few dips in form this season, and yet Iheanacho has really picked up that rope. So I just think the way that they kind of share the the spotlight between the players in that team, I think it, I think it speaks volumes about what a great team unit they are. Now we've bigged up Wesley Fofana, Jim, but Jamie Carragher in the Sky Sports Studio highlighted a bit of an error in body position for the opening goal from Crystal Palace. Maybe just a little bit of inexperience there because he's only 20 years old. But it's also easy to forget that it's currently Ramadan for uh, those practicing Muslims, of which Wesley Fofana is one. And he actually broke his fast midway through the game. Of course, if you're not familiar with Ramadan, it's when Muslims can only eat or drink under the cover of darkness. So Fofana has gone pretty much the whole day without eating or drinking before eventually uh, the sun goes down and he was allowed to kind of eat and drink something midway through the game. And he praised the Premier League and um, the referees as well for letting him do that midway through the match. 
How difficult do you think that must be for Islamic players? Because there are plenty of them in the Premier League, the likes of Sadio Mane and, and Mo Salah, Paul Pogba, another really prominent example. It's something that maybe we overlook a little bit in this country about how difficult it must be to be a professional athlete with no fuel in your body for the whole day, basically. I mean, it's, it must be hugely difficult. It must be 10, 20% off your performance levels, I'd expect. I mean, I do a little bit of running, very much as a hobbyist, but I notice if I don't get my food right through the day and eat at the right points and eat the right things, I notice impacts in my times in the kind of speeds Mm. i'm doing distances and that's on a really really amateur level so if you take that up to a professional standpoint where the extra one two percent really makes an impact it's i mean all credit to them for having beliefs that strong that they're willing to make those sacrifices and i'd be interested to know what they're eating during the games as well because to be able to eat something break your fast in the middle of the match and then get out there i mean we've all played football after going to the pub for a couple of pints and a burger or something like that <laughs> you know you know how that feels when you're running around a football pitch after eating so fair play to him as for him making a mistake that cost them the goal i'm not sure i 100% agree with jamie carragher and obviously jamie carragher has played the game at a marginally better level than I have. <laughs> so I'm not necessarily casting aspersions on his view, but I think what Wesley Fofana was trying to do there is he, he wasn't necessarily tracking the player. He was leaving that to the fullback and he was trying to cut out the pass, which was a brilliant pinpoint pass by Eze. So it was very difficult for him to cut out. But if he'd made that interception, if he'd got a toe to it, he would have been praised for his positioning. So mm-hmm. he did get it wrong, but you can kind of see what he was doing. I think yeah. the, the fault for the goal was the left back who was playing everyone on side. So for me, it wasn't necessarily down to Wesley Fofana. You can kind of see what he's mm. doing. And I think it's a bit unfair to to maybe pin the blame on him for the goal. Yeah, I think what Jamie Carragher was trying to get at is, I think they conceded a goal very, very similarly against Fulham, uh, where Wesley Fofana almost did something identical. So I think that was kind of the point that he was trying to make, but maybe it's something a little bit deeper that needs to be looked at. As for Crystal Palace then, they didn't get the three points. Roy Hodgson was happy with the way they played Marley. They haven't beaten a team, Crystal Palace, with more points than them in the Premier League table since February 2020, 43 games ago is that kind of symbolic of the Crystal Palace we see in the Premier League now they're just very much middle of the road that's a that's a hell of a start that to be honest it's some it sums up what Crystal Palace are aren't they they're I think I said yesterday on the on the show they're pragmatic they they don't do anything you don't expect them to do I mean but you can you can remember them turning over Man City a couple of years ago and I think they did it two years in a row I think they beat them um but other than that they don't. They're not a team you who you look at and go. You know they can they can upset anyone on the day. You you don't you don't think that you just think if they if they're playing eighteenth, nineteenth, twentieth, they're playing West Brom, Sheffield United, Fulham. They're probably going to beat them. If they're playing anyone above them, they're not going to beat them. And the stats just back that up. I think even when they were one 0 down, Leicester were still favourites to win that game um, last night, and it proved as well because I don't think Crystal Palace are good enough to keep a team. Um, at bay for for ninety minutes, even if they even if they score, they're always going to concede chances. Um, they're not they're not uh, strong enough to to just sort of suffocate a team and 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 keep them keep them out for you know large spells of the game. They've got some of the creativity they need in uh, you know in in parts with you know Eze and Zaha for example linking up perfectly last night, but they they should have done better. I think. I mean the. When Riderwald went went through one on one, and then you know he got ten yards out from goal, and he thinks I'm gonna pass this. Like I don't know what I don't know what he's thinking <laughs> there. Um, it's almost like he pressed the wrong button when you know when you're on FIFA with your mates. It's like he like he pressed the wrong button <laughs> yeah. and tried to square it. To I'm not used second. to this controller. I'm used to the PS <laughs> yeah. controls. The funny the funny thing is, Ben Teke would have probably missed <laughs> if he'd got the pass. Um, but yeah, yeah. Last night, I think they could only they've only got themselves to blame. I think they they could have had something from that game. I think, but I think it's a belief thing. They think you know oh, Leicester are a really good team. We're gonna to have to be really good to get anything from this. And maybe they didn't believe that they can go and win. But I think that proved in the in the performance. I don't think they were anywhere near the level they needed to, even when they were one uh, nil up. The more you think about that stat about them not beating a team 
with more points than them since, what was it, March? February 2020, so over a year. The more you think about it, the more bonkers it is, because there's a new season that started in that time. So they would have been playing teams. And that's 43 games, Jim, which actually is more than an entire season worth of games. So we're not not actually talking about teams that are necessarily better, because at points in the season, they would have played teams which only, like... Two games in that had three points to their name. It's crazy. Yeah, so we're talking more points than them. So, you know, there could be a side that were five places above them, but yet on the same points. So I suppose you can kind of skew the stat in Mm. several different ways. Do you know the last team that Palace beat who had more points than them? Liverpool. Oh, God, it's probably us, isn't it? Newcastle United, Marley. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Final score last night, Leicester 2, Crystal Palace 1. Great result for the Foxes as they really eye and hone in on that Champions League place. Just a handful of games to go, but it's looking more and more likely that the Foxes will be in that Champions League equation next season. Talking of the Champions League, Chelsea against Real Madrid takes place tonight. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But first, after this quick break on Football Social Daily, we're going to be talking about something new, the Premier League Hall of Fame. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily from the Sports Social Network. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. My name's Niall, Jim Salverson, Marley Anderson alongside me. Time to talk the Premier League Hall of Fame, something that's been introduced over the last 24 hours in the top flight by the Premier League. The first two inaugural inductees into the 2021 Hall of Fame cohort, Thierry Henry and Alan Shearer. We'll talk about those two players shortly. But what are your general thoughts, Jim, on this Hall of Fame idea we've spoken a lot on the podcast particularly last week after the European Super League news about almost the Americanization of Premier League football there's a an American Football Hall of Fame there's I think there's a Baseball Hall of Fame there's even a WWE Hall of Fame so if you're talking about like something which isn't really seen too often in in British circles I think the Hall of Fame could probably fall into that category I really like it as a concept. I mean, it's not something I'm particularly interested in as a football fan, but I like the idea that we have something in place that remembers the great players that have fallen under the Premier League era because we're now getting to a stage, the Premier League is of an age where the players who did boss it back at its very inception will start to be remembered more in what they've done post their careers than they will during their careers like for 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 my generation I'd probably put Gary Lineker in that kind of category that I vaguely remember him playing but I remember him much more from doing match of the day and selling crisps so (laughs) I think it's quite nice to kind of mark the significance of these individuals what I don't like about it and this has always been a little bit of a problem of mine is why we have to categorize football as pre-premier league and post-premier league I don't particularly understand the significance of this the league changing names and changing format slightly and becoming a much more marketable product mm. as a cut-off point between going, oh, well, this is when football got serious because that's simply not the case. I would have rather seen maybe, I don't know what you call it, an English league uh, hall of fame rather than a Premier League hall like of fame. Like a top flight I, I, hall of fame sort of thing. Yeah, something like that because there are so many quality players that just are forgotten because it was pre-Premier League era that deserve mentions alongside the likes of Alan Shearer and alongside Mm. the likes of Terry Henry, but just won't get forgotten because it isn't part of the marketable Premier League product. Well, it's a good point because if you think about the highest number of goals in a single season, I think that falls to Dixie Dean, the Everton Mm. legend from the 1920s. Um, Jimmy Greaves would be in there. Uh, I mean, we all remember Dixie Dean. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, he's an absolute legend and understandably revered around Goodison Park. But, you know, in terms of the relevance to the modern day, we're talking about 150 years of football and the game has certainly changed since then. I do understand what you mean about the cutoff point, though. But even that in mind, I think Alan Shearer would have another 30 goals onto his name if we're talking about sort of old Division One goals as well. Which brings me on to asking you, Marley, about Thierry Henry and Alan Shearer being the first induct naturally when that was announced on Twitter there was lots of debate over who should have been the first two but for me that's pretty much as solid as a choice you can get for the first members I don't know what your thoughts are yeah uh, obviously um, you'd expect me to agree and I agree Um, I think people on Twitter you know 
it's a bit of a cesspit, isn't it? It's at times, and you can't do right for doing wrong. Um, if you you know you're always going to get people going, oh, what about this guy? <laughs> Trying this to guy expose won. players as being a fraud. It's like yeah, Shearer scored two hundred and sixty Premier League goals. It's a joke. How can he be yeah. a fraud? For a largely <laughs> average team for most of that time, um, that's the that's the the kicker that gets me every time um, that we were never that good uh, under any manager, and he still scored that amount of goals. Um, but yes, you know, people saying, "Oh, this guy scored more. Uh, this guy got more trophies than than Shearer. He only won one Premier League title. Uh, Andy Cole won five Premier League titles, but quite simply, Alden Shearer is better than Andy Cole." Prove that. Prove prove anything. Show me any stat that tells me tells you that Andy Cole's better than Alan Shearer, for example. Um, you can't do it, and it's personal opinion and, and bias that oh we should have had a Man United player in there because they've won thirteen league titles. I don't give a shit who how many league titles you win. It's about how good a player you are because there are no. I don't think there are too many um, two better players than them two. You can't really have. The the first two being any other other than them two, I think people made the kiss for for, for Rooney. Um, yeah, he'll probably be the next one in to be honest, Rooney. Um, you know, there there are arguments for for many players, but you know you've got to remember that there are other players going to be inducted into this. It's not just yeah. two guys. It's not and a chart, it. is it? It's not you going. These yeah. are the best two. It's kind of these yes. are the first rather than anything else. Yeah, it's, it, yeah exactly. I mean, if you're in the Hall of Fame, you're in the Hall of Fame. You, you don't go in ahead of anyone else. You're on a level playing field. It's just dependent on time. And as you say, six more names will be added to this year's cohort, this year's inductees. I'll read them to you in a sec. There is a 23-man shortlist. I think that was originally 24, but uh, I think Ryan Giggs was the other. And due to what's going on in court at the moment, I think they've dropped him from that list, which is understandable. But just going back to what Marley was saying, Jim, what do you think people will be basing their criteria on personally? Marley says he's not worried about Premier League titles or trophies. So is it goals? Is it the way they played the game? What's the kind of general gist in terms of this player deserves an induction? It's got to be a combination of everything, hasn't it? I mean, I don't. Goals obviously aren't a fair way to judge it because that hugely benefits you if you're a striker. But I think for me, it's got to come down to the impact that you had on the league as a whole and the team you played in. So, as Marley says, Alan Shearer playing for a largely average team. If he'd not made the decision to go to Newcastle, who knows what would have happened to Newcastle in those seasons? They certainly wouldn't have had the title race that they had which ultimately they failed at so mm. he, his impact on that Newcastle team and the Premier League during that era was absolutely huge because if he hadn't been playing for Newcastle we would have never had yeah. the Kevin Keegan rant we would have never had the, <laughs> the the title race between Newcastle and, and Arsenal and so. also I think he made a choice didn't he between Manchester United and Newcastle United mm. of which they were the two best teams in England of which Blackburn were the best team in England before that so if you're talking about at the time the three best teams in the UK in England Shearer played could have played for mm. all three of them so, you know, he, he, he was well sought after and understandably so. And equally, you look at Terry Henry and his movement to the Premier League. He kind of symbolised a change in thinking in the Premier League. Overseas superstar, yeah, wasn't he? Exactly. The first real overseas icon. And this kind of development that Arsene Wenger brought to the game, this style of play. And he was so instrumental in the unbeatable season as well, where Arsenal won the league. So I think, for me, it's got to come down to the individual impact of those players. People who did more than just scored goals or which is probably why Andy Cole is probably not in this first cohort is that his impact was he was scoring goals in a very good football team his individual yeah. impact particularly for Manchester United probably wasn't quite as great so I imagine we're going to see the likes of Dennis Bergkamp probably Cristiano Ronaldo yeah. Paul Scholes deserves to be in there certainly so yeah that that, that mm. for me it's got to be the the that individual you have to be able to pinpoint what they did and what they achieved and the impact they had well, I'll read out the criteria for you and then I'll read out the shortlist. Some names you mentioned there, Andy Cole is on the list, but the criteria is that to be inducted, which is a vote, by the way, you can vote for this on the internet. If you if you just search Premier League Hall of Fame, you'll be able to find the link there. Anyone who's inducted into the Hall of Fame needs to be retired before the start of this season. So names like Rooney won't be able to go in there. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously not yet retired, so he won't be on the shortlist. But this is the 23-player shortlist for the Hall of Fame, which people can vote for. So Tony Adams, David Beckham, Dennis Bergkamp, Sol Campbell, Eric Cantona, 
both Andrew and Ashley Cole, Didier Drogba, Les and Rio Ferdinand, Robbie Fowler, Stevie Gerrard, Roy Keane, Frank Lampard, Matt Letizier, who somehow wormed his way into that conversation, <laughs> Michael Owen, Peter Schmeichel, Paul Scholes, John Terry, Robin Van Persie, Nemanja Vidic, Patrick Vieira and Ian Wright. So some great names on there. Mm. Marley, you've already disagreed with this, but I'm going to ask you again. In some Hall of Fames, basically you have to have won the top prize to be inducted. Is it unfair to say that a player has to have won a league title to be inducted? For instance, Shearer and Omri fit that criteria, but someone like Steven Gerrard wouldn't. Uh, I think if you have a Premier League Hall of Fame and you don't induct someone like Steven Gerrard, I think you have kind of just, you know, made a mockery of your own thing. Um, he's clearly one of the best players that's ever played in the Premier League. Probably, you know, you could make a case for him being the best midfielder to ever play in the Premier League. Um, and not look stupid by making that um, assessment of him. Um, he's, you know, no, you, you, I don't think it should depend on what you've won. Um, I think there, there are bad players that have won the Premier League. Um, there are good players that haven't. You know, Shearer won one, and he's one of the best strikers of all time. And then, you know, someone like Eric Jemba Jemba won, won a title with Man United. I think Gabriel Obertan <laughs> might have won a title at Man United. You know, Leicester... Um, you know, Andy King was one of their best best players. He's won a Premier League title. Is he, he couldn't even get into the Premier League team, for example, when they won it in twenty sixteen. But you know, it's just the way football works. I think I don't think there'll be any surprises in this in this induction um, process over the next three or four years. Um, it'll be you know tried and tested players who you can call sort of bona fide legends and and you know amazing players. You're not gonna get. Somebody who gets in there on a technicality, having won, you know, a, a treble at different times of his career or something like that, you know. I mean, Leticia is riding his luck, to be honest, with his, with his <laughs> tin pot theories and uh, crazy outlook on the world. But you know, maybe they'll have a, a COVID denier wing or something like that, <laughs> and they'll they'll stick Leticia in that with his little silver foil hat. <laughs> the, on. Thing you, the thing you have to remember as well, it's a very different game to U.S. sports when you look at something like the. NFL Hall of Fame because the American Football League is so open and they have things like the um, the draft the draft system that keeps it competitive year after year although the Premier League is a competitive league you don't have that and so you've no. got I, mean, I forget how many it is over the history of the Premier League was it five different winners five teams that have lifted the trophy so you're shallowing the pool massively if you go you have to have won the Premier League title <laughs> yeah. when there have been brilliant players for for teams that maybe didn't have a chance of winning the league but who individually they've had a massive impact and it would be unfair not to recognise them I think yeah I think it's fair enough and it just feels to me like that shortlist is just oh let's have a look and see who scored over 100 goals and chuck them in because um, that's the only reason I can think that Matt Letizia would be on that list or anywhere near that list anyway. Uh, Premier League Hall of Fame, do you like it? Is it a good idea? Is it a terrible idea? And who would you be inducting? Why don't you let us know on social media at the Sports Social on Twitter. Sports Social Official is our handle on Instagram. If you just type into Facebook Sports Social, you can find us there. Right, time for another quick break. We'll be talking about the Champions League next. Real Madrid against Chelsea. Big semi-final first leg coming up tonight next on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. This podcast is part of the Sport Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League offering from Sport Social. And it is one Premier League side in action tonight in a European context. And that's Chelsea as they travel to Spain to take on 13-time champions Real Madrid. It's fair to say, Jim, that Chelsea have underachieved in the Champions League for a long time now. This is their first semi-final in, I think, seven or eight years. But can they take confidence from getting to this stage, particularly after their last couple of weeks? They beat your side, West Ham, in a vital top four game at the weekend. I know there was controversial circumstances surrounding that, but still, they managed to get the job done. And before that, they won the FA Cup semi-final over Manchester City, a game which was incredibly tough for them. So they've had a pretty positive seven days, haven't they, Chelsea? I think Chelsea have probably underperformed in all aspects for the last few years as well considering the investment in playing staff and the investment in managerial staff as well they just 
haven't quite got the combination right. But now they've got the perfect opportunity to put that right, both on domestic and continental fronts. And being in the semi-finals of the Champions League is absolutely huge for Chelsea at the moment. And they will take confidence from their recent results, but they'll also be a little bit wary of some of the less than impressive results they've had recently. I'm thinking particularly of the West Brom game where they lost 5-2. I think what Chelsea have going in their favour against Real Madrid is... The thing that Thomas Tuchel as a manager does really well and Chelsea do really well at the moment is stopping other teams playing. And I think we saw that against Manchester City. They have the ability to frustrate. They're very solid defensively. They're very sound when breaking down play and hitting other teams on the break. And so when they face the bigger teams, the likes of Real Madrid, if they're on their game and they can frustrate Real Madrid and and hit them on the break I think that's where they'll take confidence going into this game I didn't think they were particularly impressive at the weekend against West Ham I think they went and did a job but again I think that's what Tuchel's brought to this Chelsea team they don't always look impressive they just keep getting the job done yeah but nine times out of ten they do the job they do what's sat out in front of them and you the fans it's kind of like the Jose Mourinho-esque Chelsea Mm. we saw in the past it wasn't necessarily what fans wanted to watch it wasn't a swashbuckling exciting form of football but when you look at the results at the end of the season that doesn't matter so much because you've got a tin pot sitting in your trophy cabinet as a fan did you feel that your side were likely to score against Chelsea at the weekend Jim because I think that that's what Chelsea do so well is they block you out defensively so effectively I went into that game at the weekend not really wanting to watch it and I wasn't planning on watching it and so when I put it on the telly I only kind of half watched it but there was nothing in it that caught my attention other than the uh, Belba- the, um, the, the, the stupid red, red card. card yeah which infuriated me but other than that West I, Ham have appealed that by the way just to keep everyone up to date well, West Ham it doesn't have really, appealed that I mean, red just card. to go off on one for a little bit it doesn't really matter because Balboa is maybe fourth choice centre back at West Ham and the players <laughs> are coming back in so uh, whether it's overturned or not is neither here nor there it's the impact it had on the game which is the frustrating thing about referees getting these calls wrong right it's the mm. it's the impact it has on that match rather than necessarily the band that follows. But anyway, no, <laughs> I think Chelsea did really well. I mean, West Ham aren't offering a massive amount going forward at times at the moment beyond the pace of Jesse Lingard without Antonio being fit and without a few key players missing. So I don't think they had the toughest job on their hands in the West Ham game. They'll face certainly more of a challenge keeping Real Madrid quiet. But I definitely, they've got that in the locker. They've got the ability to do it. Really interesting headline in Spanish sports paper Marca today. Effectively, Marca were hinting that Real Madrid might need to be wary of any unusual refereeing decisions tonight. Um, I'm not sure whether that was a poke at UEFA in the corruption in football at the moment, but it's certainly something Chelsea have had their frustrations with over the years in the Champions League as well. I distinctly remember a fair few years ago now Didier Drogba pointing down the camera <laughs> screaming it's a disgrace um, which I couldn't believe as a, as, a, as a youngster when I was watching that let's try and underline Chelsea's performances with a few stats Marley they've dominated possession in their Champions League games this season under Tuchel rather than Lampard by an average of 13% more than their opponents so they do see plenty of the ball they're also nine Champions League games without defeat but on the flip side Real Madrid have got a 63% win rate at home in semi-final first legs, which is a great record. And against English sides in general, they win 40% of their games, obviously beating Liverpool in the last round. So all of those things considered, and what Jim said about the game against Man City and the game against West Ham, do you think Chelsea can keep Real Madrid at bay and maybe pinch an away goal? Uh, yeah, I think I think they can. Um, I think it's, it's a tough one to predict this because, I'd, you know, Real Madrid haven't had the... The greatest of seasons. They're not at their very, very best. Like they have, you know, when they won, you know, three back-to-back Champions Leagues. They're not that team, but they are still, you know, the, you look at the uh, mm. the team they can put out, and when you're facing a, a midfield of Cruz, Casemiro, Modric, you get Asensio, Isco, Benzema, Rodrigo, Vinicius. All these players, you know, they're all they're all amazing players, and you know, Ramos and Varane. You've got all the experience you need to to win any game at any point, I think. Um, so even though they've not been quite at the best and they've been playing not at the Bernabeu because it's been redeveloped and all the rest of it, they're, they've still got that pedigree and they've still got that that experience of, you know, the, it's a Champions League semi-final. I don't think anyone's ever been to as, as many as Real Madrid. I'd be not sure on that one, but I'd be amazed if anyone 
had been to more semi-finals in Real Madrid. So it's not like they don't know what they're doing. Um, and they're always going to be as, as tough as you'd expect. So it's a massive test for Chelsea. It's a real sort of yardstick of where they are because... You know, if if they if they they can go and turn over Real Madrid, then all of a sudden next year, you know, they they could look at absolutely winning everything. They could they they'd be expected to win the Premier League um, or or challenge for it massively. Um, they could be you know Champions League winners. Uh, you wouldn't back against them in the final. Um, if let's say it's Chelsea Man City final, you you know the, all of a sudden you've got the um, the FA Cup semi final. To, to draw back on they, they beat Man City in the, in previous rounds so even though Chelsea are probably the, the fourth favourites of four at the minute for the Champions League possibly third you you know you, you genuinely make a case for them going and winning it especially if they can be as sort of mechanical and and proper as they have been under Tuchel so far La Liga by the way is looking absolutely ridiculous if you look at the top four in the Spanish top flight Sevilla in fourth have won five of their last five games 70 points Barcelona 71 Real Madrid 71 and Atletico Madrid 73 so it's genuinely open right until the end and we spoke about Chelsea Atletico were 10 clear as well at one point they were and we spoke about Chelsea having a big week but could it play into Chelsea's hands Jim that Real Madrid have got Sevilla shortly after the second leg against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in a couple of weeks' time. So, you know, we talk about Chelsea and their plans of finishing in the top four. Now it feels that the FA Cup final and the Champions League become their more important tasks, whereas Real Madrid have a chance here to to win La Liga still. And they've also got a massive semi-final of the Champions League. So next week is looking huge for Real Madrid. Very much so. I guess it's kind of six or one half a dozen or the other. Does the Sevilla game work as a distraction for Real Madrid because their focus is split? Or does the fact they are lagging behind in La Liga put more emphasis on the Champions League and getting them over the line there and proving that as a focus? Because we all know the level of importance that the fans put on the Champions League at Real Madrid. I think you've got to look at the experience of the teams here. And if anyone's got the experience to manage their season between now and the end of it, it is Real Madrid. And you look at the Champions League experience in that Real Madrid team, 51 winners medals, if you count Zidane's in there as well, in their team. Whereas I don't think, I don't think has anyone at Chelsea, would have anyone have won the Champions League previously? I'll take that as a no. <laughs> I, I, I can't think of a player that they've got in their ranks that would have picked up a Champions League medal. But it just kind of shows the level of experience that each of them have. So, And also, you've got to look at the squad depth at Real Madrid and expect them to be able to fight on all fronts. But that said, you'd expect them to be topping La Liga this season and not facing challenges from the likes of Sevilla and Atletico. So it's difficult to know how it's going to pan out but you'd still it's still whatever whatever happens it's going to be a real challenge for Chelsea and as Marley says victory really lays down a marker for their potential going forward yeah and you know what I think you're right Jim I can't think of any of Chelsea's squad that may have won a Champions League title so you're absolutely right it is uncharted territory for them and like what Marley said not uncharted territory at all for Real Madrid I was interested Jim what you thought about this whole idea of if one of these sides goes on to win the Champions League, does that make it even tougher to ban them from next season's competition? Because, of course, we're still in the fallout of the European Super League and those proposals, lots of discussions about what the punishments and sanctions may be for those 12 clubs that decided to put forward this idea of a new breakaway European competition. UEFA is still yet to decide. The Premier League is still yet to decide what the punishments, if any, will be. If Real Madrid or Chelsea go on to win the Champions League, what does that put UEFA in an even more difficult position or does it put them in a stronger position to say, listen, you can win our tournament, but we're going to ban you? I think it it damages the competition itself by not having the most recent winners in it. It makes it a lesser important and lesser significant competition and damages the commercial value. So I see absolutely no reason why UEFA would want to do that. I think the threats for punishment are pretty empty, if I'm honest, because ultimately... They want their best. They want the best teams from around the Europe in the competition. That's what the battle's about. That's what the fight's been for to retain the importance of the Champions League. So why would you have that fight only to then scupper it yourself and make holes in your own boat? I just don't think it's going to happen. As I've said before, I think potentially if I was going to, if I was in charge of the Premier League and I was looking and UEFA and I was looking at punishment, I'd wouldn't 
impact the teams that have qualified this season for the Champions League and the likes of whoever goes on to win it or the FA Cup winners or whatever it is, I'd potentially look to change the qualification format for next year. So you say these teams, well, it doesn't matter where you finish in the league, you can't yeah. qualify. But then you've still got the same issue that if you if Chelsea went on to win the Champions League and they qualify wow. for next season and win it again, then how do you ban them? So I, I think we'll see nothing beyond a financial punishment that to the everyday man on the street sounds massive but to football clubs is pretty insignificant yeah there's no point banning Arsenal I mean (laughs) (laughs) you're not allowed in the Champions League boys (laughs) there is is someone who's won a title in Chelsea's ranks I've just found out does anyone anyone know he's won three of them three Champions League three yeah (laughs) is it like Willy Caballero or someone like that (laughs) no who is it it is Mateo Kovacic who won three titles with Real Madrid <laughs> back to back. Do you know why? It's because he's not playing tonight. So he's, not, he's not in the squad he's tonight injured, for Chelsea. He? Yeah, he's out injured. Um, so yeah, a, a bit of breaking news as well on the European front. Julian Nagelsmann has agreed to join Bayern Munich next season, so he won't be going to Tottenham Hotspur. So another hammer blow in a week of hammer blows for Tottenham Hotspur and Daniel Levy. He was never going to Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> <laughs> does, that, does that mean we can't have his, uh, his great selection of jackets and fashion style uh, rocking the Premier League anytime soon? I think Could. he spends more time preparing what to wear than he does preparing for the actual game, <laughs> by the sounds of it. Yeah, fair play to put that much effort in and still look like an absolute <laughs> Take some skill that Take some skill uh, Back to this game Chelsea versus Real Madrid In Madrid No Kovacic for Chelsea But also Mali for Real Madrid At least this is what We're being told We don't know for certain No Sergio Ramos No Tony Cruz No Vasquez No Mendy No Valverde So Do Chelsea need to capitalise On those holes In midfield And at the back When Real Madrid Are quite clearly depleted Yeah they do um, If you're going to beat Real Madrid You're going to have to You know if if you were going to sort of dream up a situation, you're probably saying, ideally, you don't want Ramos in their team if if you can uh, get away with it. And he's not playing, I don't think, again tonight. I think in the um, in the last round, I don't think they had... I think they had one defender in the team, and I think it was... Uh, I think it might have been um, Nacho or, or someone like that. And they ended up playing, like, Marcelo at centre-back. They had, I think they had Valverde at right-back at one point. Um, Vasquez has been right-back most of this season, like a converted winger, but he's he was injured as well. So they, they really patched up the defence in the last round and, you know, they still managed to, to get it done, obviously, with with how much strength and depth they've got. It's it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. They're not going to put out a, a poor team at any point. But, you know, um, if you are going to win... You, you you ideally want to play Real Madrid when they're not quite the strongest, and I think Chelsea have got that chance tonight. Um, Chelsea are at the strongest. I think there's only Kovacic who isn't playing. I think everyone else is fit. Um, he's got options. You know, he's got attacking wing backs. He's got more defensive wing backs. He can play as Billaqueta at wing back if he's worried about um, Madrid's wingers uh, too cool. So there's plenty of chances there. Um, and if you're gonna if you're gonna beat one of the best teams in the world with the pedigree they've got you want to do it at a time where you know they're not quite at the strongest and I think that it's almost like a perfect storm for Chelsea tonight mm. one final thing on this Jim is that Chelsea will be coming up against Eden Hazard it hasn't really worked out for him though since they sold him to Real Madrid for I think it was close to 100 million pounds you know it's really not gone well for Eden Hazard he's fallen off a cliff in terms of form he's not the superstar he was do you think that this narrative heading into the game might be cause for concern for Chelsea because if he is going to try and relight and reignite his Real Madrid career, he's going to want to do it against a former employer. I think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? The whole old former player coming back to haunt you story, and it does happen on occasion. I think when it does happen, it's kind of really highlighted, which is why it feels more prominent than it is. I don't think players recover form in one game, and it hasn't really worked out from at Real Madrid. We could say that about quite a few players that go to a club with a huge price tag and it doesn't quite work. For me, like I said, I don't think for Chelsea it's going to be about containing Real Madrid. I don't think that's really the issue, because they can do that. We've seen it loads of times. They can frustrate and they can contain. For me, it's all about the, the other end for them, because I don't know necessarily where the goals are going to come from because they need pace in that squad, that counter-attacking squad. Like For me, you look at Mason Mount, Timo Werner and Zayek probably as your, your, your front three. And you look at those three and you go, well, would you back any of them to, to, to get you a goal in an important game? And all of them, you'd kind of go, they've got goals in them, but potentially 
it, it's trouble. They haven't got that kind of proven out-and-out goal scorer that you're back to get one goal every two games or something like that. So that is the issue for me for Chelsea. Mm. It's going to be goal scoring. It's not necessarily going to be containing the opposition, whether that opposition contains Eden Hazard or not. Watch him score a hat-trick. <laughs> La Liga this season for Eden Hazard, Marley. Ten games, two goals. That's it. Ten games. He's played ten league games this season. I mean, it's a fall from grace for sure, but... I guess some people don't realise how much mm. of a fall from grace it's been. Yeah, I think um, his struggle with injuries and, and fitness. He's, uh, I think when he got there, he was a few kilos overweight. He was carrying a bit of timber, wasn't he, when uh, mm. when he first arrived and got fit? He's got a low centre of gravity, well, hasn't he? He's got a big backside, old Eden Hazard. <laughs> a lot of junk in the trunk. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. It's weird that we can talk about an elite football and go, he's got a fat ass, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it's madness, but... You know, he, he's still got that level um, of performance in him. I think he's, you know, he's on his day. He's still, you know, one of one of the best wingers in the world. And I think that's what Chelsea have got to be wary of because he's also got a point to prove still. Um, I think he's still trying to prove to Real Madrid uh, fans that he's not a waste, um, not a waste of money. He's still what they thought he was going to be when they signed him. So um, Chelsea got to be aware of that because. You know, against an old club as well, it's always a bit of a weird um, scenario. But you know, you think about Hazard; he's been playing probably against Aspilicueta for most of the last ten years in training, things like that. So you're probably looking at little things and almost overthinking things if you're gonna try and stop him. So you know, can they do that? I, I don't know. It's we'll see what type of shape he's in. I'm not sure if he's a hundred percent fit and you know match sharp, but. We'll have to see tonight because I, I think it's one of them games I, I really can't predict how it's going to end up, to be honest. First leg of the Champions League semi-final, Real Madrid against Chelsea. Can Thomas Tuchel's side get through to their first final in a long, long time? And can Thomas Tuchel as a coach get through to his second consecutive final after doing it with PSG last season? We'll find out tomorrow. We'll talk about it tomorrow on the podcast. And that's it for today's Football Social Daily. Jim's told Wesley Fofana how to defend properly and I've told Eden Hazard he's got a fat ass. <laughs> and Jamie Carragher. So it's all going well. Uh, thanks very much, Jim. Cheers, Marley. Cheers. Don't forget to Cheers. hit subscribe. That way you won't miss another episode. And we'll catch you again tomorrow on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at the Sports Social. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.